Well, we're going to continue. We're not, we're not done with this um, series yet on running with purpose. We're going to continue on that today. I have some specific things in my heart today. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. We'll just put that up on the screen. Actually, you can turn there because we're going to be in Hebrews for another scripture right after that. But Hebrews 12, verse 1. Go ahead and look there. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we also, since we are, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are people in heaven that have gone on before us. They're already there. They've run their race. they finished their course. Now, we don't know everything about heaven, but from different accounts and, uh, you know, that, that I've heard and, and seen, people have, uh, it seems that people that are already there, they have a general idea of your spiritual race. They don't know everything about your natural race. It's not like they're just looking at, at you, everything you do. But they have an idea when something, you make a decision for God and in the spiritual decisions you make, there's, um, there's an awareness. Well, we know the angels in heaven, they rejoice when one comes to the Lord. There's a night, there is awareness in heaven of what goes on in the spiritual things. You're not necessarily what you're wearing or what you had to eat. But when you make a decision to go on with the plan of God, that's what matters eternally. And then it's, it, the Bible here is talking about the, the cloud of witnesses. It just got done um, all through Hebrews 11, if you go back and look at it. It talks about heroes of faith and all that they did and all they accomplished by faith. And so it's referring to them. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring to all the people that he just got done uh, talking about. And so there are people in heaven that are looking down on us. Their race on the earth is done. They don't get to come back and run. We, we all get one chance at this thing. Our race is now. We will see them soon and very soon. I'm not saying tomorrow, but even if it's another 150 years, that's soon. It's going to go. How many of you live long enough to know the decades move fast, the years move fast? The life is not, you know, when you're, you're, you're just growing up as far, you're like your single digits, going to elementary school, the, the adults and life seems to just stretch out so far ahead of you. But as you go, you realize this thing is not very long at all. It's like you just feel like you're getting a hold of certain things in your past a, a season of life, right? And it just keeps coming and you realize, there's not going to be any time at all and I'm going to be done. And you realize... You start to, if you're walking with God, you start to realize truth and that things that men seek, they just don't mean anything. 
And you see the same things repeat themselves, and you see people getting into this fad, and young people, and then you realize, wait, that's like the fad that was when I was growing up, or it's the same thing over and over, but think, people think it's new, and think certain things are important, and think they're invincible, and then they realize they're starting to age like everybody else, and it's not going to be very long. So what is the, the importance? The important things are what we do for God. When we're running this race, it's the decisions we're going to make for Him. We are all called as Christians to run a specific course for Him. And the decisions we make to fulfill that course are what are, what are going to hold for all time. I mean, in Hebrews 11, He's specifically calling out people that did something for God. He's not talking about where they ate dinner or anything. He's saying they did this by faith. And we're... We're no different. In this day and age, God's got a work to, to do today. How many of you believe God has a work now, 2020? He has a work for us to do. And when we, you know, if we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We know we're closer than ever to it happening. We, and if you look at the world and everything's going on, you, you think, my goodness, how, how much longer can things go? But... If we live out our lives completely, and Jesus doesn't come down, uh, back for another 150 years, we're going to look back and remember the things we did for Him. I believe we're, we're really getting close, though. There are things going on right now. I don't believe it's going I, I to be a really, really long time, but we don't know these things. We can't be dogmatic about it, but we can get a sense. But... What we do, the decisions we make for Him are going to matter. And if we do live out, we're going to look back and we're done. We, our race will be over. We don't get another shot at it. It's done. And we can't go back and say, well, I wish I would have. We may say, I wish I would have, but we can't go. We can't redo. We don't have anything special that somebody else, Christians, didn't, did have, and they didn't have anything special that, that we don't have. We all, I mean, yes, there are gifts and callings of God, but those are as God determines. In other words, we all have an opportunity to do what He told us to do. That we have. He's going to, tell every, he's going to uh, speak to our hearts and by His Word, telling each of us what He wants us to do. We all have the opportunity to act on that. So it says, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we, were surrounded, or we, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice it's referring to Jesus as our example, saying, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He saw joy ahead, but He endured what was going on when He was going to the cross. That was not fun. That's an understatement. Despising the shame that was... He was going through. He, he ran through because he looked past. He said, this is what I'm to do. And for the joy that was set before him, he ran right through the stuff that was pushing on him.
So we have, he is our example, and each of us have a race that we're running right now. The spiritual decisions we make are what are going to be important. And God knows that, and the people in heaven know that, and the angels know that, and there is another group of beings that also know that. Satan knows that. And the little imps that are working with him know that. And so if that's reality, if there's, and there, are, there is, I mean, I'm saying, if we're looking at the, re, the, the reality of what is, there is a spiritual realm, there is a God in heaven, He is the Almighty, He was, He always was, He always will be, that blows our minds, but let's just move on because we can't comprehend that. He always has been. There are those that have come before us that have looked at God and ran their race and done what He told them to do. And by faith, they, they were able to do exploits. And those are listed for us. There is a spirit realm where there, is, there are angels. Of course, the Lord. There are... There are evil spirits, there is Satan, and there are demons. If, I shouldn't say if this is the reality, this is the reality. If that's the case, God has set before each person a race to run. Those in heaven are cheering us on. Satan, if the most important thing that we're to do is to follow God's race, what is Satan going to try to get you to do? Get you off that. He hates God and he hates you. He hates me. In heaven, they don't necessarily care about some of the natural pursuits, only how those would affect the real, the spiritual pursuit. Well, the evil's the same way. If you're doing stuff that doesn't affect the kingdom of God, you're a non-issue. You're sidelined. Because whether people know it or not, that's the real game going on. It's not a game. That's the reality, is that there is all the, the accounts you, that you've ever read uh, in school or whatever, uh, epic stories, uh, movies, that the epic fight between good and evil. The thing is, all of that is real behind the scenes, not the way they portray it, but there is a God in heaven and there is an evil force, he is no match for the God in heaven. But that is what's going on. All the rest of the stuff that we can get caught up in uh, can be distractions. And the decisions we make for God and to do what He would have us to do are what's going to matter. So there is going to be this war. It is a war that's going on between good and evil. God has already won. But Satan is trying to keep God's people from moving on with Him and trying to keep people from coming into the kingdom of God because His end is already sealed. Satan's. It's already sealed. He's already defeated. If you read Revelation, you know He's defeated. He knows that too. But He tries to go around convincing as many people as He can not to believe in God. And this is the war that's going on right now. So the decisions we make for God are what's important. Satan is going to try to keep you from making those decisions for God. 
He's going to try to keep me from doing those. Now let's look at Hebrews 2, verse 14. I want us to look at one way that he tries to do this. Satan tries to keep you and I from fulfilling the the will of God. And this is something, it, it states in Hebrews 12, about stripping off everything that would hinder us. Let's lay aside every weight. This is one of the biggest weights you will ever come in contact with. We need to be aware of it, and we need to reject it, and we need to know where it came from. Hebrews 2, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It says, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, Jesus likewise shared in the same, he came as a man, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Notice that, who he might, Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. That means he doesn't have the power of death now. Now he wants to make you think, and the whole world think, he does. But he doesn't. Might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In a message a a, a few weeks back, we referred to this same verse, how it says there, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That means there, if you look at the way it means, one of my teachers at Ramah put it this way. He said, it's like if you had a big uh, parking lot you know, concrete, asphalt, whatever, and you took a jackhammer to that, that uh, parking lot, and it was just in shambles, all these pieces just sitting wherever, wherever. You say you destroyed that parking lot. Well, you may have to, to get, uh, you may have to move some of the pieces out of the way, but it's rendered, it's completely non-usable as a parking lot. That's what this means when it says, if you could go back to, Uh, where it says he might destroy him who had the power of death. Jesus jackhammered the devil. Now he's still around, but he's rendered powerless. He's useless for, you know, like the, the parking lot's useless for a parking lot. Satan had the power of death, but he doesn't have the power of death anymore. But he wants to make you believe he does. He doesn't. You might have to move the bricks out of the way. He might try to say, oh, well, that's there. You can't do anything about it. But he's already been rendered powerless. But you may have to move some stuff out of the way. But he's been destroyed. He's been defeated. He's still around, but he's been defeated. Verse 15, and Jesus came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And the Amplified, it says, also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage through the whole course of their lives. This is what I want to focus on this morning, is fear. 
When we talk about running our race and stripping off anything that would ensnare us, fear will keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And it is straight from the pit of hell. Fear is, Satan's, is one of Satan's tools to lead God, God's people into destruction or keep them from fulfilling their call. When we talk about it's a spiritual race, it's a spiritual reality, God knows and, and puts out in front of us a race. The, those in, in heaven know what's going on when we make spiritual decisions. Satan's going to try to bring to bear pressure to keep us from running that race. One of the tools he does, he uses is fear. Try to get you to keep from taking the steps God has for you. Notice how this is said. We're going to read the Amplified again. And also, Jesus came that He might deliver and completely set free all those who through fear, through haunting fear of death. You say, well, I'm not afraid to die. Any death, any loss is death. A destruction of a marriage is death of that marriage. Sickness in your body is death in your body. Poverty is death in finances. What? Being afraid to die is just afraid that you're going to lose something and it manifests itself in all kinds of forms. You're afraid of losing something. I won't do that because this might happen. That's fear of death. What are you afraid to lose money for? You're not afraid of just losing money. You're afraid of not being able to pay your bills. You're, not, you're afraid of not having enough. You're afraid of loss. In its extreme case, you don't have enough to eat. But you may not have the right place to live. It's a fear. It keeps you from doing what God would call you to do. But notice it says that He came to set free all those that through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage through the whole course of their lives. Fear will bind you. Fear will keep you in bondage and not free, not able to run the way God wants you to run. Look at in the CEB version, it says, He set free those who were held in slavery their entire lives by the fear of death. Held in slavery. If God has something for us, but we say, but I can't do it because of such, guess what? That's slavery. That's, I'm not free. I'm not free to do what God would have me to do because I'm afraid something might happen, so I do this instead. Where does that come from? There is an enemy, and he will paint pictures and show you. You don't want to do that. This is what's going to happen. If you, fought, if you do that and push out there, this is going to happen, and he'll give you pictures of destruction. He'll paint a picture of loss. He'll paint a picture of dying. Of something happening to your children, something happening to your body, something happening to your finances, something happening to your relationships. But he's a liar. I said he's a liar. Can you put up uh, John 8.44, the one that's a little bit further down, just we'll insert this here. As we're going through this, we need to understand this truth. John 8.44. You are the previous one. You, he's talking, Jesus here is talking to the religious leaders of the day. 
And he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Talking about Satan. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil's a liar. Everybody say, the devil's a liar. Say it again. The devil's a liar. Now say it like you mean it. The devil's a liar. There's no truth in him. There's none, guys. The Bible said there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking from his own, or basically that's his character. He lies, he lies, he lies, he lies. Let's go back over to Hebrews 2.15, the last one we had in the CEB. It says, He set free those who were held in slavery their entire lives by the, their fear of death. Satan is a liar, and one of his tools is fear. See, he is already defeated. He is already, his power has been stripped, but he doesn't want people to know that. He'll paint pictures and tell lies and create stories of what's going to happen to keep the child of God from following the path that God has. And he will keep a child of God in slavery our whole life. Whole life. There is no, see, he's not nice in any way, shape, or form. There's not a point where he's going to back off. If you leave here, I mean, there's a number of truths here, but one truth you have to understand is Satan will not give up. We have to put him in his place. He's not going to reach the place where, well, they've had enough for one lifetime. I'm going to leave him alone. If you reach the point where you think, well, why, why, why does this, why does he keep pushing? He, he, he will keep pushing unless we put him in his place. Unless we tell him, no, you're defeated. And he'll try to tell you, no, he's not defeated. No, he, he has power over you. And he'll try to give you images and lies to back it up, telling you all the stuff he's going to do to you. But that's fear. It's a tool of the, of the devil. It's not God. And what's the point? To keep us in bondage. Let's look at Romans 8, 14. <clears throat> Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by God, the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. In, this, in the CEB it says, You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again to fear. You received a spirit that shows you are adopted as His children. In the New Living Translation, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. We have not received a spirit that causes us to be in fear and slaves to the evil one. We have received a spirit that leads us into the knowledge that we are children of God. And we are going to walk on His path and the enemy is a liar. He tries to pull us over here and keep us in slavery to, do, to basically be sidelined in this war. God has given a spirit that will go through and reject fear and reject slavery. 2 Timothy 1.7 
says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Everybody say, God has not given me a spirit of fear. Say, I do not have a spirit of fear. See, fear is of the devil. Any type of fear is Satan trying to lead you. And that will never, don't ever make a decision, I don't want this to happen, so I'll do this. See, that if, if you are led by fear, if you're trying to avoid something, instead of being led to something, you set yourself up to be influenced by the devil. Don't make a decision based on what could happen and be in fear. Make a decision based on what God is leading you to do and reject fear. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what we have. That's what we have. We have a spirit. As children of God, we have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. In the NLT, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We have not been given a spirit that cowers. Oh, I don't want that to happen. Do you see the picture that if we yield to fear, we're going to be put in a box our whole life. We're not going to go out and do what God has told us to do because we're afraid something's going to happen. So we'll just stay in this, this straight. I can't do that. Why can't you do that? Because this might happen and we just stay bound. Yeah, but I really have a heart to do this, but I can't because this, I, this, that might happen and I can't do that. You can go your whole life like that. And when we get to heaven, we're going to look back and say, I was, I was duped. I was duped by somebody that has been rendered helpless. Yeah, I listened to his lies. He's a liar. So if he's telling you all the bad things that are going to happen to you, and we know he's a known liar, what should our reaction be? Reject it. If he's a known liar and he's telling you the bad things, you know that's not true. It might feel true. That's two different things. You know, you might not feel like you're married some days. You might not even want to be married some days, but if you're married, your feelings have nothing to do with it. You're still married. Just because something feels, I don't feel like I should be married. Well, just because that feels the way, that doesn't mean it's true. Just because Satan will put it on something and say, well, this is, I mean, this is obviously what's going to happen. There's no other way. It might feel true. It might, all the circumstances might say it's true. But if God says something contradictory, we need to go with what God says and reject anything. Because we know Satan's a liar. So if you're dealing with somebody that's a known liar, anything that's coming out of their mouth, you're saying lie, lie, lie. How can you perceive fear? We all know what fear feels like. That's, that's, that's never God. Never. Everybody say never. never. Fear is never God. Dread or, or just a feeling of, ah, I don't know about that. That's not God. Never. Ever. And so if we're feeling a, a sense of fear, well, I don't know if that should happen. I, I don't know if I should do that because this might happen. That's, that's not, that is not God. You can just say, not God. Not God. He'll try to convince you. Oh, no. I mean, this is God trying to warn you. It won't be fear. No, no, God will lead you and say, don't do that. He might give you a check, but that's not going to be fear. It's going to be, and that's a whole other series. We just fear, finished that on Wednesdays. Go, go listen to that. But it's not God. Fear will keep you bound. Fear will keep you from stepping out. Fear is, I don't want something to happen. Not, I'm going on with God because he's faithful. 
The Amplified Classic says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving, of cringing, of fawning fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and love and of calm and a well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. We have those things at the end of that verse, not the other. That's who we are. John 16, 33. John 16, 33 says, Those things I have, or these things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is speaking here, and he gets done saying some things to the disciples, but he's saying, I've spoken to you these things that you may have peace. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, that word tribulation, it means pressure, oppression, stress, anguish, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. That tribulation, we're going to have this There's going to be pressure in the earth. There's going to be squeezing. There's going to be adversity. Jesus said it would be, but he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome it. And this is the key. You will have things come against you in life because we live in a fallen world. We have an adversary. If we are waiting for it all to clear up and say, oh, it's just like, you know, a completely sunny day, the pond is, or the lake is just completely calm and there's no waves and I'm just going to go out and it's as far as I can see. We may wish that were the case, but Jesus never promised us that. And if we're going to judge the will of God by how smooth it is, we're going to be deceived. There may be adversity And see, when there's adversity, when there's, I'm going to read some of these words again. It said, Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. That means pressure, oppression, stress, anguish, tribulation, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. When we feel some of that pushing in on us, the devil will say, see, you're going down. He said, you better be afraid. This is going to happen. See that pressure, that stress? You're going down. And if you don't make this decision, you're going to go down further. You better give. See what he's trying to do? Come here, Andrew. Not going to hurt you. But you know, if, if I'm taking his arm and putting it behind his back, he's trying to push it up. You guys know that move. Push it up and get you to cry uncle. You keep pushing it up to where you say, stop, I give, I give, I give. Go ahead, Andrew. You can sit down. You, he is trying to, look, he's, he's trying to get you to look. Look at the circumstance. Look at that adversity. Feel that pressure. See that? That's just, that's just a little bit of what's going to come. A little bit of what's to come. You're going down. You're going down. And this is what it's going to look like. And you know, the devil plays videos for you. Yes. <laughs> An audio, he'll play a video in front of you of what he's going to tell you that is to come. If you know anything about video, especially in this day and age, you cannot trust everything you see. We realize that all the movies that we go see, they're fake, right? They, they have somebody running in front of a blue screen and they paint everything around them and put armor on the guys and, make, and then add sound effects. If you were to see the raw video, it's nothing. Nothing. Like what the final product is. Well, Satan's a deceiver. He's a liar. 
He'll show you something and say, and it looks real, it feels real, it, it, you know, if you could taste it, it'd be real, it smells real, and he'll say, this is your future. But he's a liar. And we need to recognize anything fear is trying to lead us away from the plan of God, bottom line. If it's fear, it's not God. If God needs to lead you away from something, he's not going to make you afraid of it. He'll say, go this way, and it's a strength, not, i got to get away from it. If you're getting away from something, you might be running into something worse. We don't be led by fear. Jesus said we would experience the pressure. The pressure is not an indication that you're going the wrong way. Otherwise, the whole early church was wrong. They ran into adversity, but they plowed through it. The Apostle Paul, good night, if adversity is an indication, he missed it his whole life. Have you read all the stuff he went through? He was missing it every day he woke up. Because he was constantly in adversity. If, if adversity is a signal that you're missing God, then the Apostle Paul missed it more than anybody that ever lived. But that's not true. He was being led by God, and there was he, he was left for dead. He was stoned, left for dead. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked, all these things. But he was on God's plan, and he pushed back. They, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. But fear will say, oh, no, they might kill us. Fear will say, oh, that might happen. No, we're going through. God's able to raise us up if that happens. God, the, the, the Spirit of God is confidence in Him. Colossians 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Notice it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Has. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the, the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are not under the power of darkness. Satan might try to portray it that he's going to do this and this and this is what's going to happen if you follow God. He's a liar. He doesn't have that power. So when we see it out in front of us and there's a fear trying to come, we need to say, no, God has delivered me from the power of darkness, so I'm not under any power of darkness. I'm going to follow God. See, we're talking about running our race. We're talking about stripping off things that would ensnare us. Fear will ensnare you. Fear will keep us from running our race. It's a tool. It's meant to do that. It's meant to stop you. It's meant to bind you. It's meant to paralyze you. But it's a lie. I said it's a lie. John 10.10, 10, we'll just read this, this is a familiar verse. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Fear is one of the ways he tries to do it. That's all he's in it for is to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to understand when we sense fear, it's, he's trying to take you down. He's not trying to help you. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We need to know this is what's going to displace Fear is the knowledge that we have been delivered from the power of the enemy and God is for us and His will is for us to have life. That will displace the fear. The way you resist fear is knowing what God is to us, who we are to Him, and what we are able to do as a result 
of the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, who we are related to God. We need to understand it. I'm just going to read you a few verses. Some of these are, are familiar, but these are the types of things we need to get into us. Jeremiah 29, 11, familiar verse of Scripture, speaking to the children of Israel, but it, it applies to us too. It says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, G, the Lord here is saying that I, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What does fear say that? Fear is like, no, you're not going to have any future. You're not going to have hope. This is going to happen. But we need to get, we need to put into ourselves, God has good things for me and He will bring me through. So these things, you have to walk right by the fear and say no and go right to where God has called you to be. In the midst of the adversity, in the midst of that pressure, and, God, and, and Satan will come and say, well, this is just you. This is just because you messed up. And this is just you. And try to get you feeling like isolated. That pressure comes to everybody. The tribulation in this earth comes to everybody. It's what we do in response to it. That matters. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says, don't fear, because I'm with you. He, he said, it doesn't really matter what's around you. Don't fear, because I'm with you. I'll walk through it with you. He said, don't fear. God said, don't do it. Don't yield to it. 1 John 4, verse 17 <clears throat> said, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Anybody that has ever experienced fear, fear knows it's torment. Fear will come to torment you. Fear is evil. To fear, it can, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Try to get you thinking about that all the time. Verse 18, there is no fear in love because perfect love, see, knowing who God is, knowing who He is to us, it casts out or it pushes out fear. When we, when we focus on the fact, wait, God is on my side. God has good things. We're talking about running a race. We're running a race, but fear tries to get in and derail us. What are we going to do? We have to remind ourselves of who God is and what we're doing. If we're on His path, then it's going to be good. See, fear will try to say, oh, no, it's not going to be good. You want to go over here because it's going to be bad. And so tries to pull you. We need to come back and say, no, God loves me. He's going to bring me through. See, that will cast out that fear. It will say, it will render it powerless. Doesn't matter that things are yelling at us. We're saying, nope, I'm on God's side. I'm doing what He has called me to do, and I'm going forward. It says, fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect or mature or complete in love. When we sense fear... 
We need to resist it. We need to reject it. We need to push it back because with that fear is an indication. I mean, not the fear coming against us, but if we let it linger, we're, it's showing us that we're not focusing on God. We're letting that fear try to lead us. Now, I want to show you, let's, let's uh, look at an example, 2 Kings verse, or chapter 6, verse 8. 2 Kings uh, 6, verse 8. This is an example. I want to show you an example of somebody being afraid, but they don't really understand what's really going on in their situation. Which is why they're afraid. 2 Kings 6, verse 8. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this, king, this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of you, us is uh, for the king of Israel? So what's going on is the king of Syria is trying to come against Israel, and every time he... he um, every time he goes and, and tries to make a move... Israel knows where he's going to go because Elisha had the word of the Lord come to him and know where they're going to be. And so he told the king of Israel, and the king of Israel's ready. And so the king of Syria is going, all right, which one of you guys is a traitor? Which one of you is, is telling them where we're going to go? Because this is happening over and over. It said it didn't just happen once or twice. This continued to happen. Verse 12 says, And one of his servants said, none, of, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go. See, this is a word of knowledge. They're going to do this. And potentially, word of wisdom, this is what you should do. And this is operating in the Old Testament. Operated through prophets all the time. Verse 13, so he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told to him, surely he is staying in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. So this, this king finds out that Elisha the prophet, the man of God, is, knows where he's going to be. So he sends out an army after him. One guy. You can tell he's afraid of Elisha there. You don't send an army after one guy. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, so this is Elisha's servant, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. So imagine, this young guy is going out, 
He goes outside and he looks around and there are horses and chariots all around. They have him surrounded. And he says, his servant said to him, goes to Elisha and said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's like, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? These guys are, have got us. And Elisha, it says, so he answered, Elisha answered, do not fear. Well, just in the natural, don't fear. We're surrounded. It's you and me. And we have an army around us. I mean, we're, we're reading the story. We're reading this account after the fact. This guy, I mean, don't be hard on this guy. He does not know. He's looking just at what he sees and goes, there, there's an army. What are we going to do? He's scared. Verse 16, so he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha doesn't even see anything else, but he knows his God. He knows what the reality behind the situation is, and he tells this young man, don't even worry about it. The ones that are with us is more than is with him. And I'm sure the guy's thinking, what? Now put yourself in this situation. You may have heard the account before, but don't let it be an account. This happened. We're looking at, he's looking at this army surrounding him, and he's thinking, there's no way. We're done. And if you look in the natural, you are done. Except you have, the prophet of God already knows by the, God, by the Lord's leading everywhere this guy's going to go. God has a way out of this situation. I mean, if you've been around Elisha for a while, just even seeing that, maybe you ought to think, I don't know how this is going to work out, but this is going to work out. What's, what's going to happen? Because he's seen some stuff. So he says, those who are with us are more than who are with them. And verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now he is already seeing. In the natural, he already sees, but he doesn't see reality. See, this is one of our problems. We see naturally, and we're influenced by a world that's all they talk about. What you see, what's going on naturally. You don't, you don't hear about actually behind all that is the real what created this natural realm is the spirit realm. That's real. There is a war going on. People look like, if they don't know anything about spiritual things, I'm not suggesting you go around talking this way, but they would react to that, that you're nuts. But that's the truth. There is a war going on behind the scenes, and there are spiritual forces behind the scenes, and Satan will point you to the natural and see, see, you're surrounded. You're done. You better pack it up. And fear will try to come on you. Well, if you're just looking at that, you should pack it up. If that's all there really was, and if you're just looking at that, you're going to be tempted to pack it up. But there is another realm. And that's what we have to understand is that God is with us, and He has a plan. In this case, Elisha knew that. He, said, he, was, he doesn't even indicate at all that he was ruffled. He just said, God, open his eyes. Help him to see what's really going on. 
said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the man, his young man was able to see, and all around there were chariots of fire. There was more in the spiritual realm than there was in the natural. Now he sees that. It's like, well, hey, of course we're going to win this. Verse 18, Then when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them back to Samaria. So he is in such command... They, these people are struck with blindness. You don't mess with God. This army comes, and he walks out in the middle of them. He has them, he, God strikes them with blindness, and he walks out in the middle of them and said, this is not the guy you're looking for. He's not here. You're in the wrong city. Come with me. Do you see the presence? I mean, he is in total command. He is the man of God, and he walks in and said, you all, they had him surrounded. He walked right in the middle of them and said, this is not what you're looking for you're in the wrong place. Here, come follow me. And he leads them back to Samaria. Right into the middle of the Israelite army. So it was, verse 20, when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill him? I mean, they come right in back into the middle. They're blind. They are totally at the mercy of these people. Bring them right back into the middle of the army of Israel. And so the king says, hey, should I kill him? Shall I kill him? Verse 22, and when he answered, he said, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go there to their master. Then they prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they sent them to their master, or sent them to the master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. He made them a feast, he sent them away, and goes, go tell your master that, and they never bothered him again. Seriously. That is the supernatural power of God. But if you looked in the natural, you say, this is going to be a whooping. You got two people and an army. And it wasn't that way at all. It was totally the opposite. I mean, you could make a movie out of that. He walks right down in the middle of them and just says, follow me, and brings them right back into the army. Total mastery. God has, the, he has everything where it needs to be if we'll trust him. It was not looking, it looked like, oh my goodness, they, we're going down to that kid, young man. He's thinking, we're surrounded. What, what are we going to do? And Elisha just says, open his eyes and help him to see the reality. What's really there? See, Satan will always tell you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Look, there's no way out. If you looked, there was no way out. And he'll get you, and he knows. See, this is the thing. He's a liar. He knows what is really there. 
He knows where God is leading. I mean, he doesn't know everything, but he gets an indication of certain things. He knows what's coming, and he will say, and he knows what you don't see. And he'll say, yeah, there's nothing, there's no way you're going to get out. And he knows right behind, he knows that the angels are aligned there. But if he can whisper and get you to bow and get you to say, uncle, even though your deliverance is right there. The power of God was aligned to protect these men. They had nothing to fear. In fact, the other people had something to fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, Satan, he's a liar. Come and try to get you to give in when you have no reason to give in. You have your artillery aimed at him. He's done and he knows it. But if he can come and go, you're going to be done. Look, give in now. It'd be comical. If you were to see the real thing, give in, give in to what? Turn around. You need to give in. Why would he put so much pressure on you if you're inconsequential? Think about it. When you feel pressure from the enemy, why would that be coming? If you're not doing anything, just let you go wreck everything. If you're not, if there's no reason you're not really going and doing anything for God, then just let you keep doing that. Because he's a liar. And if he sees you following the plan of God, that is the goal to get you derailed. Praise God. The Bible says in James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But notice it says submit to God. Do what he's telling you to do, number one. When the devil comes, you resist him. Now, if you just say, oh, yeah, you're right. What am I going to do? That's not resisting him. But if we resist him, then the Bible says he will flee. It didn't say he might flee. It says he will flee. He will. If we resist him. Fear, you don't entertain fear. We resist it. We say no. No, that's a lie. Nope, I'm not going to fear. I have not been given all the scriptures we read earlier. No, I'm not. I have not been given a spirit of fear. Nope, I've not been given a, a spirit of bondage again to fear. I've not been given a spirit that leads me into slavery. I have not been given a spirit that would make me timid and cowardice. I have been given a spirit of power and a love and a sound mind. God is for me. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. He'll help me. Praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Lord, we just thank you.